as podcasters, our lives have now been <laughs> subsumed by the, the internet's insatiable need for content. Exactly. So obviously every instance and story and happenstance from our life needs to be uh, reiterated and disseminated for our listening public. I mean, that's why I'm just constantly streaming on Twitch at all times. It's just it's Indeed. Twitch life now. You're not just cooking. You're also doing laundry. Mm-hmm. You're answering questions. You're receiving requests. To, <laughs> always uh, doing AMA. Off. Yep, AMA. Always ask me anything. Always. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Never stops. You're being uh, verbally abused. Dance, <laughs> you pony. More abused. Dance. Dance, you pony. <laughs> John ponies don't dance. Monkeys do. Oh, okay. All right, bad. get it right. All right. That's racist. That's racist. Good job. But the ponies are... You and your friend... They're quadrupeds. You and your friend, Governor Northrum, must be best buds. Look at you. <laughs> What the hell are you talking about? Well, anyway, this is all a stupid preamble <laughs> to our first visit to the wonderful city of Palm Springs yes. uh, for your bachelor weekend. Yeah, we went to Palm Springs for the first time, and I hate you for it. Because Why? Because I loved it so much, and it's all I've ever wanted out of life, and now I've gotten a taste of it, <laughs> and now I just can't let go. I'm like, oh, I always, I just, I dream now of living in Palm Springs. I want to retire there. It's, it's basically a town designed for what I've always wanted to be in life, just an old queen. Who's just sassy and you know does karaoke on the reg? We did not run into any old queen. I thought it would be oh, a gay we haven, and it is. It is not that. Oh, it is um, so a gay haven. How dare you? You just don't uh, you see your gaydars. No, like a, a so gay haven off. wouldn't have a line out of the door at the one of the city's only two clubs at <laughs> six p.m. Excuse me. We should me? tell you something about. We should tell you something about the again. Uh, that's uh, what makes it the, the perfect age town of the, for John. The populace of. Palm Springs. That's what makes it the perfect town for John, because like John wants to be in bed by nine, so yes, he'll go out to the club at six. It's perfect timing. Thank you. Okay, fair enough. But we didn't we didn't run into any characters. Now, granted, that's because uh, we're all New New Englanders. Who <laughs> Excuse me. There were plenty of characters at Peabody's. How dare you? Peabody's Cafe was full of characters. You just didn't want to talk to them. No, I didn't. No, see, that's stay away from me. Yeah, Greg. Greg just likes to complain. He just likes to bitch and moan. To bitch and moan. John, I, I have little complaint about the city of Palm Springs. But, John, go ahead and name the highlight. The highlight was definitely the tram tour, which you uh, sold us on, paid for, <laughs> and then arrived late and barely managed to salvage it. So arrived late? Like how was I supposed Greg's to know that? plans, he barely salvaged it. So how was I supposed to know there would be a 20-minute lineup? <laughs> which, by the way, also, huge challenge. Thank goodness Greg uh, was here <laughs> to demonstrate his driving skill, because I didn't know that the road up there was on a, a, like a six-degree grade. <laughs> And I drive a manual transmission car, so I was rolling back oh each my time gosh. and did not stall once. <laughs> wow, it was great. Let it ruined you. my car, but it was worth it. <laughs> Greg complaining about, my transmission, <laughs> gotta keep going. <laughs> it was the low light of the um, trip, watching Greg yes. whine and bitch and moan. Well, John, I mean, overall, our impression of the uh, city of Palm Springs was fantastic. We loved our trip. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I want to segue into another complaint. <laughs> okay. Because, um, John, I've got breaking news for you. Breaking news! <laughs> <laughs> and it has to do with the Oscars. Oh, dear. It turns out that in order to keep the show within a three-hour runtime, they are going to finally, and I believe for the first time in history, omit some categories from the broadcast. Oh, no. And, and Greg's favorite include... costume design will sadly not be included <laughs> on the telecast. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I believe I have the four categories here. It's uh, best live action short film. Okay. Best cinematography, best editing, and I believe costume design is the last. Oh, see? That's all boring shit no one cares about. Well, actually, <laughs> costume design, costume design, at least there's some visual flair to it. Like editing, come on. Who needs that? Who needs well, that? Well, no, 
well, as as a uh, Guillermo del Toro tweeted recently, mm-hmm. um, I have it up here. He says that those are the foundation of movie making, and and which I agree, those that's true. Again, it is the look of the movie, and also in how it's edited. However, <laughs> um, it does not make for the most compelling when some boring old white guy um, who's solely committed to like Roger Deakins. Like obviously, I I poured my heart out for Roger Deakins, finally seeing him win an Oscar. I I love his work, um, and he's a charming guy. Like, but no, thirty million people do not want to see him. Like get up on stage say cheers mate and you know leave <laughs> but greg you like what what do you want out of the show this is the problem no one knows well, what they yes, want out exactly. of the show it's a show no. for nobody and so well, you film nerds according- obviously are like no fill it with more technical stuff that'll be fun i want to see them give gold trophies out for how well the, the light the scene was lit mm. <laughs> exactly it we seem to have some kind of political conundrum here because some headlines are saying oh will this will this uh uh will this alienate the oscars diehard fan base of which there must be about 60 <laughs> only 60 people you and i included in that group care if say roger deakins wins for best cinematography or christopher rouse for instance wins for best editing <laughs> so that i i do agree i i do agree somewhat that as you well, as you astutely pointed out, the award show format is boring and stayed and should either be changed or eliminated completely. Mm. <laughs> but if they are do are going to put on a show this year and do have to make sacrifices, yes, I'm fine with giving up these four with the promise of getting uh, four more eliminated next year. In which I, in which case, I would like to get rid of the best director category because <laughs> um, it's just going to go to some other boring old white guy uh, who's not me, and I get jealous. <laughs> Wait, what I want to know is why short film and not like short or documentary short subject or short animated film i think because they've they've imposed this limitation that it's got to be four each year and it can't be the same category in successive years okay yeah so if they just got rid of the short subject categories Mm -hmm. like all four of them like they they kind of limit themselves in in terms of what exactly they can omit the the next year i mean obviously everyone's favorite is the short animated one because usually that's a Pixar one so people have actually yeah, seen yes. it. <laughs> and there's obviously exactly. some visual flair, some panache that you can put on the big screen. But yeah, for yes. short subject uh, documentary and short film, eh, maybe not so much. Well, at least with the documentary, there can be some kind of advocacy behind it. Mm, I guess. Because usually they, but that's they what are... The big, uh... That's what the real documentaries are for, Greg. <laughs> not necessarily. Uh, searching for Sugar Man uh, wasn't wasn't exactly advocating for. Are you kidding? Know, uh, <laughs> Twenty feet from Stardom was advocating for those poor backup singers. That's true. Um, same with Man on Wire, um, which which had an earnest plea for putting more wires between things and letting, <laughs> and letting Pierre walk through them. So the ultimate message of that movie is: isn't French people great? Isn't French yeah. people the best? Yeah, indeed, indeed are. <laughs> indeed, French people is. <laughs> Thank you. But Greg, let's. Since we're on the topic of Oscars, I guess we might as well get to the movie we watched this week. No, oh, that's a that's a quality segue, John. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, speaking of Oscars, we would like to see omitted. <laughs> Okay, that's a little unfair, John. We're not biased. We 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 approach these movies with an open mind, and uh, but this this one, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know. I it's as if uh, this movie, I, I can't abide by some of its things. It's as if I, I can't absolve it of some of its sins. Ooh, what's what's a way to describe that? I would describe it as a Clint Eastwood film, and <laughs> it sounds like it's a bit unforgiven. He was one crazy son of a bitch, Will. 
Yeah, no one liked me, and the boys all thought I was gonna shoot him out of pure meanness. Well, you ain't like that no more. Eagle, he hated my guts. Bonaparte didn't think too much of me either. Quincy neither, right? No. Quincy used to just watch all the time. Scared. Well, like I said, I ain't like that no more. That's right. I'm just a fella now. I ain't no different than anyone else. I'm gonna do the rest of this podcast with a squint. And as a result, my voice gets rather <laughs> <That's> skill. <laughs> Well, that's also going to sound wrong when you have the, the twangy uh, <laughs> the twangy piano score come in. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to infuse some softness in this hardcore, tough western. I love my wife. <laughs> I haven't touched a drink in years. I'm Batman. No, John, No, John, you were too convincing there. Okay. Um, you have to just blithely shake your head and blithely like, no, she cured me of that demon. <laughs> So, Greg, you recommended this film. Indeed, I did, because uh, this is one of our father's favorites, and uh, I believe uh, anybody who's a Clint Eastwood oh, fan. Oh, Kel Surprise, a Western <laughs> starring Clint Eastwood, and my dad loves it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I think anybody of a certain age can, who grew up watching Clint Eastwood films can appreciate this on a different level than, say, Spaghetti Westerns or those 70s you know, adult movies like The Outlaw Josie Wales or Two Mules for Sister Sarah. They see it as like a culmination of his career, and the first of which he was nominated and won an Oscar for. So there's, there's a lot... The, the movie carries a lot of uh, existential weight because it's also considered a revisionist Western. Uh, um, I have I have qualms <laughs> with that term, but okay. We'll as as do I. Yes, a revisionist Western, uh, according to Wikipedia, um, it's, a sub-genre, it's a subgenre of the Western film, basically questions the ideals and style of a traditional Western. I always interpreted that term uh, more in the Howard Zinn style. <laughs> Like it should confront the ugliness and the displacement of the Native American people and the exploitation of immigrant labor and all the other ugliness of the Western film. But the revisionism happening in Unforgiven isn't really a a political or sociological one, but more of a moral one. Exactly, because it's all about kind of the act of killing and what it does to a man's soul. And that is, and that's really the only thing that I think kind of keeps it you know, away from the traditional Western is the fact that yes, mm-hmm. it does. It does exist in a kind of more uh, a more moral gray area when it comes to the act of killing. Obviously, it's not a, a righteous hero at the center of our story. But again, like when you actually think about westerns, the immoral character at the center of it has always been a part of them, or has always been a part of a lot of them. And yes, given all the trappings surrounding this movie, I think it's actually a pretty fairly traditional western given the uh, kind yes. of story structure of it and the themes it's playing with. Yeah, I think it, it attempts for a little bit more sophistication in the fact that it's it's not solely focused on Clint Eastwood's character mm-hmm. uh, seeking redemption or seeking to not, uh, transcend his ills and his demons from the past um, and having this other storyline with Gene Hackman's character. I, b- I believe it's trying to be a little bit more sophisticated, but I was going to say the movie's also um, very conservative <laughs> in the way that it portrays its Western. And I'll explain what that means. It means that it, it attempts to be moral, mm-hmm. but sees the ills of its ways, feels bad about it, but proceeds in those <laughs> ill-gotten ways. 
There's also a there's an I'm speaking of course I'm not speaking of course of any politician that looks at the election of Donald Trump and is like, mm, thinks about their thinks about their choices in life, sees the result of them, but you know, <laughs> proceeds proceeds or uh, continues the course. <laughs> there's also a great underlying current about gun ownership and why <laughs> guns are important for everybody to have and you know, to even the playing field because the only thing that can stop a bad man with a gun is a good man with a gun. Yes. But he so, feels bad about it. <laughs> I just want to preface by saying that, yes, this movie is greatly appreciated by, I believe, people of a certain generation. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you and I are going to play nine-dimensional chess and <laughs> take a, take apart every little philosophical issue that could be going on in the movie Unforgiven. Yeah. So apologies for that in advance. But, yeah, I think it's in spite of its <laughs> attempts to be a religious Western, this is really just the same old Clint Eastwood good guy <laughs> or good guy with a gun. It just He's just a little bit more self-reflective about it. But in the end, it's not, it's not, is it, is it really that different? <laughs> well, I think the other thing too, is looking back on it, I'm sure at the time it was quite refreshing to see Clint Eastwood in a Western where he was actually playing his age. And again, plays up the fact that he's like an aging star, yes, but that's, and very literally, that's literally been the center of every role he's done ever since this movie. So yeah. we're a little more jaded <laughs> in that fact. And we're a little mm-hmm. more shaded by the, the opinion of the fact that, oh, haven't we seen this all before? Yes, he is a lot more vulnerable, as, as you say. Um, the movie kind of opens with, well, first... It seems like Clint Eastwood's character is kind of sidelined throughout the movie. I'm I'm shocked with how little he was in it. <laughs> um, it really it really centers more around the the town of Big Whiskey, Wyoming, which isn't really under the under the boot of uh, this uh, this sheriff named Little Bill because he's not he doesn't seem like an he's, authoritarian to begin, but he's more like a politician. He seems he's like a more bit of despotic. A, let's be honest. Yeah, that's true. Well, n- not until later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't rule violently. But he he it's it's suppose that he rules unjustly. Mm-hmm. The plot kicks off when a uh, young prostitute um, has her face cut up by a John. Mm-hmm. The rest of the uh, women in this brothel like seek justice. They go to little uh, they go to li- little John, right? Is that his name? Uh, what little John? Little Bill. Yeah, sorry, little <laughs> little John. I'm thinking of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They go to little Ben, little little John. He done cut him up. What? <laughs> no, it's little Bill Daggett. They go to little Bill and basically say, uh, "We want, we want to see these men hurt." But uh, he kind of capitulates and just says, "Oh, if they trade uh, the brothel owner some horses, we'll call it even." Ugh, I know what disrespect treating women as equal to cattle. <laughs> um, so that's that's the first sign that uh, that. Uh, little Bill uh, rules a little t- tyrannically, but then they seek the help of, then they seek uh, a little retribution in the form of any cowboys who want to come and, and show these guys what's for. Exactly, and this is a very classic setup for a Western. A man yeah. paid to do a job. Yes. Uh, for revenge. Obvious revenge. Mm-hmm. Even as, and this becomes another theme of the movie, is uh, printing the legend, or a little bit embellishment, because what one cowboy hears um, when he when they get the offer of the money, he goes straight to uh, our lead character, William Money, mm-hmm. played by Clint Eastwood, and uh, he he already embellishes the ch- the tale. The escort um, only had her face cut up, but then like, he tells him like, oh, she had her eyes cut out and her <laughs> breasts cut off. And <laughs> uh, the other thing too is obviously the way we're set up with Bill Money is that he's a poor pig farmer and he can barely keep up with his own pigs. <laughs> Yes, and a widower yeah. uh, as well. It's a very kind of undignified entrance, you know, as opposed yeah. to, you know, I guess that's the part of the revisionist portion is when you introduce your main character, it's like, with a sunset, or, you know, with a silhouette, and here he is, like, falling in the mud, chasing after these stupid pigs. <laughs> yes. And that is refreshing to see. Mm-hmm. 
not just not just from a, a cinematography standpoint as well. I mean, because this movie's immaculately produced. Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, which you can't also make Wyoming not look beautiful on film. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> which also lends to its uh, its its reputation as a prestige drama um, that wins Oscars. Mm-hmm. So there's something like very refreshing about this scene about seeing him seeing William Money basically fail and not really like he also like not just vulnerable in terms of like how incompetent he is as a farmer but also when he starts to talk to this young cowboy played by an actor who hasn't done much since (laughs) Uh, i kept assuming it was heath ledger he looks like heath ledger Ledger. okay yeah he looks kind of like heath ledger i thought he was a a young river phoenix um Mm -hmm. who i believe died only a year later yeah but um it's james wolvet Playing the Schofield kid. Playing the Schofield kid. Yes, uh, bringing back the motif of kind of embellishing the, the West. He 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 dubs himself the Schofield kid, um, <laughs> and he claims that he's killed five people and he's ready to kill some more. Uh, yes. Spoiler alert: that turns out not to be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who saw that coming? <laughs> not I, but. <laughs> But also, he's he's kind of more emotionally vulnerable in this point when he is talking about his dead wife and uh, his his struggles in also raising his kids. He can't really connect with his kids either; they just look on to him like a little bit uh, distantly. Mm-hmm. So, so that that part of the movie works. Um, it's I think the introduction of say English Bob, <laughs> where things really started to confuse me. Yeah, so English Bob, who's played by Richard Harris, really only exists in this movie for one reason, which is mm-hmm. to give. Uh, little Bill, uh, someone else to bounce off of, and to demonstrate mm. again his kind of tyrannical control he has over this town, and that's really the only reason he exists in the story, and that's the only reason we have this kind of like middle act, which really doesn't lead us anywhere except to show off the kind of character that Little Bill is. And I do admit that those scenes are kind of tense at times, but again, like they're completely superfluous, and they don't really yeah, like I don't think they tie into the larger themes as well as the rest of the movie. No, you're right. Well, I think the real purpose is to include the author character mm-hmm. who's shadowing uh, English Bob and his exploits on the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Um, Which also turn out to be not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. At this point, he's like a like a wild herb or a um, sitting bull kind of car- ca- uh, caricature, mm-hmm. <laughs> like basically um, living off the fame of his uh, legendary status in the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, he gets confronted, and it's the first sign that not only does Little Bill rule unjustly, but also violently, mm-hmm. because uh, he takes away his gun. We'll get he takes away his guns. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that particular ordinance of what it's saying, mm-hmm. um, and then violently beats uh, English Bob, who has this reputation of uh, being a criminal. See, I consider that to be an accurate depiction of the events. So I'll be all right. There is a certain poetry to the language which I couldn't resist. Uh, Mr. Beauchamp, I was in the Blue Bottle Saloon. In Wichita, the night that English Bob killed Corky Corcoran. And I didn't see you there. No, no woman. No two gun shooters. They're none of this. You were there? Yeah, I was there. First off, Corky never carried two guns. Oh, he should have. No, he, he, was, he was called two gun Parker. Yeah, well, a lot of folks did call him two gun. But that wasn't because he was sporting two pistols. That was because he had a dick that was so big, it was longer than the barrel of that Walker Colt that he carried. And the only insulting he ever did was stick that thing of his into this French lady that English Bob here was kind of sweet on. You see, the night that Corky walked into the blue bottom, before he knows what's happening, Bob here takes a shot at him. And he misses because he's damn drunk. Now, that bullet wasn't by panicked old Corky. 
and he did the wrong thing. He went for his gun in such a hurry, he shot his own damn toe off. Yep. And he rides him out of town, not after spending yes. a night in jail. Yes. Um, and this scene I actually that... enjoyed quite a bit, the scene where they're in prison, and uh, Gene Hackman, being the, the gentleman that he is, actually does offer him, uh, almost offer him to give him a gun to shoot him, mm. but he also knows that he's as much of a coward as he as he knows he is. And again, it's yeah. playing again with that whole theme of like, you know, oh, the Old West's like rugged men willing to shoot each other over nothing. And it turns out yeah. that a lot of them are actually more green and moral than you would assume. And I do like another touch here with Gene Hackman's character following just a pretty despicable <laughs> um, negotiation between uh, justice for this young, this poor young woman, basically, um, selling the owner of this brothel like cattle in exchange for uh, her mutilation <laughs> in addition to that um, we do see that Gene Hackman's character uh, is supposed to show some decency and the way he demonstrates that is that he's building a house hmm. but uh, like William Money the character played by Clint Eastwood it's he's trying to be something that he's not <laughs> in the case of Clint Eastwood's character it's trying to be a, a upstanding moral pig farmer when in reality he's still a killer <laughs> and in the case of little bill it's trying to be a carpenter or say a family man or <laughs> so somebody with a little bit more a man of and, moral upright character <laughs> yes <laughs> well moral upright and also like the sophistication to uh, build a house mm -hmm. and have a porch that he can read or relax on and instead he is as you said a despotic leader <laughs> so i like those parallels as well it just it just doesn't feel balanced though mm. And there's something, yeah, there's something about it. It just didn't feel like paced properly, like other, like other cross-cutting narratives. Like there's kind of a flow to them. Yeah. But I, w I wasn't feeling that flow. I was more like baffled by, like we have this long scene where we see like English Bob is a pretty sinister character, mm -hmm. uh, but following that, uh, little Bill does beat him, and they cut they cut away to the rest of the town looking on, like worried, like oh my gosh, I didn't expect my, our sheriff to react this violently. <laughs> like wait, where are, where are, I thought we didn't like little, uh, English Bob. I thought we should, we should be happy that he's he's finally getting his comeuppance. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it, there is something yeah. very weird about the pacing of this movie. It feels very much like a chamber drama and it does feel like it's kind of like based on a play. And mm. I don't know if he's, again, trying to recapture like that old spirit of the Western. Like maybe he's trying to kind of make it feel a little bit more old fashioned. Or maybe it's because it's directed by Clint Eastwood, who could not give two shits and like is literally just <laughs> Mr. One Take. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that's. I know he has that reputation now, but it was the same pretty much back then. I believe this movie finished four days ahead of schedule, uh, which does not happen on major Hollywood movies. But yeah, I think there's something just, just kind of like wrong with the pacing. And also, I don't know, just a little bit of exp uh, exposition or explanation because William Money then goes to his old partner, Ned, yeah. played by Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. And like, Again, they he kind of explains like, oh, I'm going to go out on this expedition, the money, but there's no self reflection in these scenes. No, again, like he, it's kind of like how English John exists in the story to kind of bounce off Gene Hackman. Ned is kind of introduced just for the sake of bouncing off money. Yeah, and it, it goes back. It ties like the it inevitably kind of ties back to this theme of like the men being actually more morally upstanding and can't handle kill the act of killing as much as you assume that they would be able to given their history, because mm -hmm. you know his whole arc is basically you know he's he's like yeah let's go on this bounty let's go kill some people and then as soon as he gets the opportunity to actually shoot somebody in cold blood he doesn't take it and he decides like no. uh, this is too much for me I'm going home I don't even want my third of the bounty goodbye <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, turns out he gets captured anyway and gets killed 
by uh, Little Bill and his whole uh, compadres. And mm-hmm. this gives money enough motivation to kind of go after it and seek justice and retribution. You know, the old tiny yeah. kind. <laughs> but yeah, it's not until very late in the movie when they actually do find the cowboys that the uh, prostitutes have put a bounty on. Mm-hmm. And I, I do admire it for this, that it's a very long, drawn-out killing. I mean, it's not... Like, in a normal Western, this would be psychologically satisfying that we get our revenge. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's like a... Instead, it's a it's a pretty slap slapdash ambush. Mm-hmm. Ned can't bring himself, even though he's a crack shot with a rifle, he can't bring himself to actually shoot uh, the killing blow against this pretty young and pretty naive cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even clear how he collaborates in this mutilation of this poor prostitute. And so, like, instead, William Money has to do it. Um, it doesn't, doesn't make it a graceful killing blow. Instead, he's screaming, like, I'm dying, I'm dying. And they have to, and I need some water. Like, it's it's pretty agonized from that so, that point. But So I'm glad the movie could go there. But there are, like, so many different blind spots. For instance, Ned is played by Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. a black man, and that is completely uncommented on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is that moment... It's implied that, you know, Little Bill does a lot of capital punishment. Again, he kind of rules with an iron fist. But there's only one character in particular we actually do see get whipped. <laughs> and that happens yes. to be Ned. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was, you know, a very obvious comment there. But Yes, and the fact that um, he, he's given a chance to whip the two men that uh, mutilated this poor prostitute. Mm-hmm. And he, and he chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Instead, he arranges the deal with the cattle. So, you know, choosing to whip the black man versus the white man, you know, yes. I guess that could be a, a statement there. You ain't killed? What, what's going on? He gets in those rocks. We ain't going to get him unless we go down there. What rocks? Why don't you shoot? What's going on, man? Well, ain't you going to shoot? I ain't very good with my ears. Keep going, David! The rocks! Keep going! Did you get him? Well, where is he? How many more shots do I have? Ned, goddammit, how many more shots do I have? Ned is enough of a character, and again, like like all the other characters, it kind of feels a little too contrived, you know, his mm-hmm. element, his, his portion of the story. So, yeah. especially because he kind of dies off screen, which I guess kind of makes sense because, again, we're supposed to find out about it the same way money does. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like, there, there is something about this movie where it just doesn't completely hold... I think it captures the emotionality quite well, but... Yeah. Um, Intellectually, I don't think it's very uh, well put together. Let's say that. <laughs> no, it could it could be better. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think we do admire like the emotional 
the emotional gravitas that Clint Eastwood brings to the lead role. We love the the motifs of say characters being what they aren't. Uh, good symbolism, like the mud, like the fact that you know he's he's gripped by the he's you know covered in mud at the opening, like he can't escape, like he can't clean himself morally mm-hmm. or physically of what's going on in his life. So that's all good. But yeah, it's these it's these little kind of the world's most sophisticated now than it was in 1992, and I think our brains keep like reaching back to these things. Um, first, it's it's not a revisionist western in that it confronts say relations with uh, Native Americans or immigrants or say just how immoral this whole society was. <laughs> uh, part two is the race of Ned's character, how it's uncommented on, mm-hmm. and how that probably motivated um, his brutal treatment. Um, and finally, John, let's get to that ordinance: <laughs> no guns in the, in the city of Big in the town of Big Whiskey, Wyoming. Mm, I wonder what comment Clint Eastwood is trying to say. <laughs> Hmm, curious. I don't know. John, if I had an empty chair here. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's a little unfair because obviously he could have made this movie much more broad and much more kind of blanket in its yeah. statement, which obviously it does not. So I do want to give him some credit. But yes, no. there's obviously that element of like, yeah, might makes right. <laughs> you can take these away from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> It's possible, yeah, his mind hadn't been warped by uh, Fox News yet, but (laughs) he'd been listening to some Rush Limbaugh, and he's like, yeah, Second Amendment. (laughs) See what happens when it's taken away? Then how many wild bills are there? Oh, but he was always a conservative, Greg. Come on, you don't play Dirty Harry, because it's like, oh, yeah, it's a complicated (laughs) character deep down. (laughs) You're right. I think, yeah, you're right. I think, well... like while it tries to be sophisticated in some areas, like the symbolism and the that motif of, say, uh, embellishing the legends of the West, it's it's funny how we have these blind spots of like, well, what what is it really saying about gun violence? Like, awesome, good, everybody should have more guns so that more people die. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't be racist. I have a black friend. <laughs> I mean, it's also kind of interesting. You can say that it's, you know, a comment on morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of instances in this movie where a character does have a gun and chooses not to shoot. And again, maybe this goes back to this whole, like, oh, you know, this whole idea that, like, the Second Amendment, it's like, as soon as you own a gun, you know how to rightfully, morally use it. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's that kind of, like, optimistic spirit that I guess you yeah. could consider that some people, believers in the Second Amendment, have. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go. maybe go back to that kind of conservative philosophy <laughs> in that... <laughs> This sense of like retributive justice, like people can't, like they can't face themselves to see justice done. (laughs) And it's not until Ned is brutally beaten and dies that William Money, um, in a great little like wordless touch, uh, again he's sworn off drinking. Uh, His his compatriot, the Schofield kid, has taken his first life and and can't handle it, so he's he's drinking straight from the bottle. (laughs) And then once he hears of Ned, he immediately takes the bottle from. From the Schofield kid and takes a swig. Like, Lord forgive me, I'm back to the old me. Um, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, that is kind of weird. <laughs> it's a weird. It's yeah. a weird turn for the character. <laughs> it, well, exactly. Well, it's what the whole movie's leading up to. It's it's William Money trying to fight his his old ways, but he can't because there's too much on the line. There's there's something that needs to be done. It's as if the violence needs to happen, John. <laughs> yeah, yes, another classic yeah. theme. In all westerns, there's no more guns yeah. in the valley. <laughs> exactly. So, it's it's something that the movie also can't face. It's that 
okay, you want to revise and re-examine, say, the violence or the immorality of the Old West, but it's basically arguing that it has to happen <laughs> through this Clint Eastwood character. This is when he gets his... I, I guess it's a, it's good for the performance. This is when Clint Eastwood gets his trademark scowl on, you know, through gritted teeth, like saying, like, <laughs> you boys better step out of the way. <laughs> Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> and so... Yes, like it's trying. It's basically the movie's trying to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, it's it is going to argue for and glorify this violence. And in, in the case, in this case, it's the retribution against uh, little Bill. Um, but it's it's not going to feel good about it, guys. <laughs> or at least it's going to try to fool you into saying like, oh no, it's actually I'm actually you know really really against what I'm about to do, yeah. um, which is glorify this violence. It's really more complicated than it seems, guys. <laughs> it's a really deep movie. <laughs> well, it is more complicated, but it's clear that it's learned nothing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> because, again, it does traffic in the glory. Like, in the final scene, big, dark, stormy night, Will Money, Bill, uh, sorry, Bill Money just strolls into the bar, shotgun in hand, like, confronts uh, Little Bill. Mm-hmm. And, yes, it's another, like, kind of agonizing scene in which, like, Little Bill tries to argue, tries to reason with him, like, oh, I didn't deserve this. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to build a house. I'm trying to be a decent man. Um, <laughs> so it's trying to... I, th- I think trying to traffic in more of that like revisionism and, and moral quandaries, but no, it's again, it's the whole point of the scene is to see will money mow down um, <laughs> these people Five that have acted immorally single handedly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so he can build the legend. The legend continues because yeah. he spares the author, obviously. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's a poignant moment where in the rain, the author puts on his glasses like he's seeing them clearly for the first time. <laughs> no, but it's distorted by the rain, John, the cleansing rain. Obviously, that that symbolism of the mud, that um, some, somehow it's all washed away. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of rain in this movie, a lot of rain. Yeah. I don't deserve this. To do it like this. I was building a house. Deserves got nothing to do with it. I'll see you in hell while you money. Overall, craft-wise, eh, yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, I can see how uh, this one or this garnered so much Oscar attention because, yes, a, a very good prestige picture. Mm-hmm. Um, showcase for Clint Eastwood, who I think desperately wanted to win an Oscar. Um, which, by the way, he said he would never win an Oscar um, because he wasn't Jewish. Um, wow! I'll leave that. I'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> Take that for what you will. Again, very, uh, very what is uh, politics again. Guy. I keep forgetting. Yeah, <laughs> very progressive guy, that <laughs> Clint Eastwood. <laughs> So, like, while while it's good from that standpoint, and yes, can live in the li- live in the live in the limelight of uh, people of a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the world is a lot more complicated in 2019, and we can't abide by its overall conservative philosophy, where it's basically going to justify um, this horrible, immoral violence. But say, like, guys, I don't want to, but I'm going to. <laughs> and also, you know, we have Logan now. <laughs> 
like Logan has usurped yeah. this as the ultimate Western <laughs> about a man confronted with or his least, past, paid to yeah, or at least the one for this generation. <laughs> yeah, at least the one for this generation. Yes. So, folks, go see Logan. <laughs> yeah, enjoy Logan. Actually, don't. I I didn't what? like Logan. I, I thought it wasn't as well crafted as this one. It's it's ridiculous. A man with claws in his hands? Come on. <laughs> they got man with cyborg hands. Come on. <laughs> that was the problem with this movie. Not enough cyborg hands. Uh, well, no. It, and he's not confronted with a little cy- clone of cy- himself. Cyborg hands. Yes, but John, he's the he's he's the main he's one of the main baddies. <laughs> um, and you can't even remember his name. Whereas the other in Unforgiven is played by Gene Hackman. <laughs> I guess that's true. Although I yeah. don't love Gene Hackman as much as everybody else does. I mean. Lex Luthor in my book, always Clancy Brown. Mwah. <laughs> AKA Mr. Krabs. <laughs> yes. The, the, the range of wonderful that guy. character actor and voice actor, Clancy Brown. <laughs> John, that's a that's a that is a great deep cut. You could say, like, who's my favorite Batman? <clears throat> a little guy named Kevin Conrad. <laughs> it's Conroy. Nice try. <laughs> oh damn it. Whatever. <laughs> But yeah, um, sound pretty damn he's, smart. he's quite good in this movie because again, he brings that kind of like sleazy charm to him. Like I'm just a good yes. guy. I'm on everybody's side. <laughs> <laughs> now watch as I control the situation. So there is that sleazy. I mean, compare that affability to um, a scowling Clint Eastwood. I mean, it's kind of a perfect. It's a perfect marriage there, and you can understand the the Oscar nominations and win for Gene Hackman uh, that he that he ended up receiving. But yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think uh, we can abide by uh, Unforgiven. Sorry, you're canceled. <laughs> I, I I think it's fine. I I I'd give it a soft recommendation. Okay, I'd go that. Well, far. I, I could I I can see it roiling uh, uh, Twitter today. Um, <laughs> Hashtag problematic. Indeed. <laughs> clap back, clap back at Clint Eastwood. Yes. <laughs> so look forward to us uh, reviving uh, Clint, er, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven on the blogosphere and. Uh, <laughs> Saying how problematic it's today. And, uh, oh, you think you like uh, something from the past? Well, let me tell you. Your faves is problematic, my friends. Indeed. A thread. Part one <laughs> of 2,976. Awesome. I'll retweet it and say, and use the pointing, the pointing finger emoji saying, read this. <laughs> this. 100% this. Yeah. Keep it 100%. You have all the time. You have all the time in the world, right? <laughs> No, my favorite is like a little story. Like, oh, finally! <laughs> oh, jeez! I always wanted to read a story at 140 characters at a time. So much more digestible. <laughs> exactly. Don't miss tweet 27 out of 48. <laughs> um, it's pretty good. Oh, that's my favorite little mini chapter. Mm. I love hearing about your New York parties. How embarrassing! How droll! Yeah, John. Let's get. Yeah, I know. Let's get back into positive territory, huh? Ah, oh, why not? Yes. You know what? This time, let's do it. <laughs> this time. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should change things up. This time, let's recommend things we actually enjoyed. Indeed. We're going to plug it in. We're going to get electricity. Um, it's no longer 1881 anymore. We've got the we've got the power of electricity. We've got the power of a tungsten light bulb and, so, and, and some metal casing. And we're going to shine a big, beautiful spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. On things that we like. John, and I want to... Sp- obviously, our overall impression of... Uh, of Unforgiven isn't exactly unblemished. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't think it, it's not the revisionist Western that its uh, reputation belies. So, as a fan of the Western genre, particularly these uh, these kind of rough, raw uh, westerns, I wanted to get the real shit. Mm. I wanted to recommend some, something really tough, really revisionist. Oh dear! And of course, I went to one of my favorite authors, Old Man. Short sentences. You know who I'm talking about? Mark Millar, <laughs> writer of Old Man Logan. Got it. Basis for Logan, <laughs> the movie we just talked about. You got it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Cormac McCarthy. Okay. 
but maybe not the book you're thinking of. Oh. Everybody thinks his, his magnum opus, his ultimate, uh, his ultimate uh, revisionist western, is Blood Meridian, or An Evening Redness in the West. Oh, <laughs> don't even get me started. Every day, yeah. that's always coming up. <laughs> <laughs> but John, that book like literally opens with uh, our poor put-upon kid, um, not, even, not even named this kid, um, stumbling upon an old man uh, making camp and eating a heart on a spit, so... <laughs> I thought that's a little exaggerated, so I wanted to recommend one of his other books. It's one of my all-time favorite tomes, and it's called The Crossing. Okay. Already, I can sound you dismissive, and you're right to be dismissive. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not one of his beloved treasures. Uh, no, his, this is the... Rare deep cuts. Yes, this is his second installment in uh, his uh, self-proclaimed Border Trilogy. Hmm. I think it also includes the very romantic uh, All the Pretty Horses um, and Cities on the Plain, which combines characters from both books. But uh, we follow Billy Parnum, unlike the kid, he's actually given a name, <laughs> <laughs> um, who grows up and also a, he's given a location, Cloverdale, New Mexico, right on the uh, New Mexico-Mexico border. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has this very kind of family-friendly premise. Uh, it opens with a, a wolf is uh, killing this poor family's cattle. Like, geez, what do we do? Um, so they set up uh, traps all around, and they do end up trapping this wolf. Billy finds it, but instead of killing the wolf, he sees that it's pregnant, and instead wants to take her back to her uh, home, uh, take her back to uh, calmer nesting grounds in Mexico. Okay. Yes. So it has kind of this uh, white thing. Man can't control nature. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, so it has this kind of, like, uh, this jolly white fang setup already, right? <laughs> but come on, if you know Cormac McCarthy, you know that that's not only it. Um, um, the, the He gets caught up in uh, in a lot of different circumstances. Uh, the wolf dies uh, before it can give birth to any puppies. And when he returns, his family has been murdered by Mexican bandits. Oh, um, <laughs> Just like old man Logan. Did I mention this is a Cormac McCarthy book? <laughs> so... In the, in all these kind of plot contri- or plot kind of contrivances, I, I found them just somehow more uh, uh, believable than what happens in Blood Meridian, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I probably recommend it over Blood Meridian. Um, it also seems more challenging in terms of their long passages that are strictly in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow it feels just more experimental in a way. And also, I like the fact that we're also confronted that Billy is like barely the hero of the story. Um <laughs> Again, he has this—he has this great passion to return this wolf to nesting grounds. He fails there. He—he um, he and Boyd try to recover their family's horses because his, his brother actually survives um, this brutal killing done by Mexican bandits. But they try to recover their horses, you know, in this kind of obvious symbol of like trying to recover their family and. They strike up, or at least they attempt to strike up a romance with a young lady, but she chooses Boyd over him. Mm. <laughs> and then there, and then later in the story, when he's kind of aimless after all this, he uh, tries to enlist in the army uh, to enter World War II. Uh, but it turns out he has an irregular heartbeat and can't. So Wait, when does this take place? Nineteen thirty-eight. I should explain. Yeah, yes, I should. Yeah, you should have explained that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> So, in addition to being revisionist, also kind of in the last days of the West, there's still a frontier spirit right, behind geez. it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for a book. All right, John. Greg. John, what? <laughs> yes, haven't haven't I haven't I sold you on this enough yet? <laughs> or... No, no, it sounds great. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'll check it out because I love Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> well, exactly. You know what He's I like in my books? You. A lot of words. <laughs> Well, exactly. Short sentences, John. It, it's still his his trademark uh, 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 succinct style. So there is that. Again, not as romantic or florid uh, as all the pretty horses, mm-hmm. um, which was, which he 
basically did, I think, on a challenge, <laughs> on, a, on a dare. <laughs> yes. Is <laughs> that so, like you can't? You, th- you don't think I can write this shit? Let me let me show you. <laughs> so it's much more in Cormac McCarthy's wheelhouse, uh, but it's also a deeper cut, which makes me look smarter. But as I demonstrated, kind of the I think there's there's a, a greater thematic exploration of kind of this frontier and are basically our place in it <laughs> and kind of in the same way that the kid in blood Marinian is kind of at the whims of everything going on around him i feel like that's much better explored in the billy parnham character in the crossing okay. so that's why i wanted to recommend it and yes if you are interested in the western genre as i am and you found uh, unforgiven a little lacking i think you'll find a lot more in uh, the crossing so all right well, that's yeah. uh, that's a recommendation for four people of our listenership. So, <laughs> I think you're being generous, <laughs> Greg. All right, you need to end all your spotlights with a thank you for listening to my book report. I deserve an A. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm, I I gave a trenchant analysis. All right, this is going to appear in the New York Times review of books very soon. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they do a lot of like 25 year old books. Do they not? Or <laughs> Well, Greg, this week I finally gave in to the YouTube algorithm once again. Oh, oh no. I know. <laughs> I know. Now you believe in conspiracy theories, right? Uh, I mean. <laughs> absolutely. It's because, you know, YouTube recommends you things that it assumes you're going to like, and then I avoid it, mm. like the plague, because obviously I can't be told what to do, all right? My taste cannot be quantified, thank you very much. Nope. But eventually I had to settle in and click on one of the recommended YouTube, or one of these YouTube videos from a channel called ContraPoints. Are you familiar with ContraPoints? I am familiar with ContraPoints. Um, it's I, I avoided it as well because it, it seems like a different version of the vlog, <laughs> the dreaded vlog. <laughs> the uh, dreaded uh, person just sits in the room and babbles at you for hours on end. <laughs> no, it's, it does the worst thing, which is they'll film their half of a conversation and then film the other half. So they'll be, they'll be the Ooh. same person <laughs> talking back and forth. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that was a that was a format choice. In which case, oh, I'm, yes. even, I'm even less interested in it now. <laughs> uh, thankfully, she doesn't do that as much anymore. Her newer videos are getting mm-hmm. much much better because they're kind of much more succinct at what she's trying to do, which is kind of more of a straightforward video essay. And uh, so, basically, exactly. Yeah, let's set up contrapoints and who she is exactly, because it's also yeah, because that's also kind of a, a divergent from the from the genre. Um, what I picture a vlog is just a a, a beardo or a, <laughs> a beardo complaining about uh, men's rights, or a uh, a ditzy girl um, who just uh, answers questions in the comments or something, or does makeup. Who knows? <laughs> no, she is a trans activist and a mm-hmm. uh, philosopher of sorts. Or basically, she majored in philosophy in college, so obviously she needs to do something with her with her time. <laughs> yes. Um, and basically, what she does is she does YouTube videos, kind of explaining concepts like the West or the aesthetic, or kind of these kind of uh, heady academic concepts in kind of a very palatable way. And okay. I think the other kind of notable thing about her is that she's trying to do it in a way that kind of approaches a certain kind of subset of people, which is people who would probably like fall into like the 4chan group or kind of get way too deep into a subreddit or something like that. And so she actively tries to kind of make her videos very approachable and kind of like hopefully people stumble upon them and that she can kind of give them guidance or understanding on a topic that they wouldn't normally broach. 
Um, okay. And give uh, to give them also a classic kind of trans and queer interpretation of it, which sadly they're probably <laughs> not getting in their normal media diet. Well, uh, yes. I, well, I was about to ask in terms of make, making it approachable. I I say like the, the the normal aesthetic for a vlog is again a fat middle aged bearded man <laughs> um, sitting in his messy apartment or basement or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like poorly lit on a bad webcam. Uh, Contrapoints also breaks genre convention by obviously having this very elaborate setup around her. Oh, is that right? absolutely. She loves lighting. Yeah. She loves mood lighting. <laughs> And uh, she obviously does at least three costume changes, especially if she's playing another. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I thought she only had one, but yeah, okay. <laughs> no, she's. It's a very elaborate, very ornate, and you know that makes it at least a little more interesting to watch. Even though I usually watch it in a different tab, because I'm doing something yeah. else. <laughs> so you're listening to. Uh, it I'm doing something tab. else with my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, why are you listening to blogs vlogs in the first place? I mean, <laughs> John, come on, give, come on, give me the my juice. Mind, justify, my justify mind your is choices an in life. Pit of curiosity, and I must know all. <laughs> you must fill it. Yeah. Um, if I had to recommend one video, it's definitely by far her most uh, popular, which is all about incels, kind of explaining mm-hmm. what incels are and how they kind of. It, and what's great about that video is obviously it's really easy to make fun of, but she actually comes at them with a lot of compassion and kind of tries to explain that it's not just like a lonely group of sad men. It's actually a death cult is really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those popping up these days. Exactly. Can't, and, imagine, can't imagine why. <laughs> hence why it's important to kind of treat them with care and compassion so we can help them and get them out of this shame spiral that they find themselves in. So, mm. so yeah, yeah. Uh, very interesting stuff. Highly recommended. Uh, again, kind of hit or miss ratio, I must admit. Uh, obviously, if you look at her blo- uh, her you know videos, she tackles a lot of kind of like far right related content. I think she deep down she knows it's this is a business and that's what gets the clicks. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I've only my only exposure to ContraPoints is an interview on another podcast. That mm. did. I had no idea who this person was uh, before. Uh, this interview, but she basically mentioned that this, the vlogging is basically the the domain of kind of far right or insular kind of people, as you mentioned, who wind up on 4chan and Reddit and basically wind up in kind of a poisonous place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, yes, she's trying to reach them a la the video on incels or just a few other topics that, as you said, like, can traffic in uh, men of a certain age who who wind up on these websites just basically encouraging more and more toxic behavior exactly she has a lot of she has a few videos that kind of broach the subject of like the alt-right or jordan peterson or does mm-hmm. the left hate free speech or are traps gay you know she's tackling the tough questions <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry what are what are traps <laughs> oh this is why this video is so vital. And how gay are they because <laughs> I, had, I had no idea what this whole concept was a trap yeah. is a derogatory term for a trans person who poses as the opposite sex in order oh. to entrap somebody and I see, like Eddie Murphy, like poor Eddie Murphy. Exactly, and of course, the, you know, not only is it derogatory towards trans people, it's also derogatory towards gay people, implying that if you enjoy that, you're yeah. gay. So, yes. oh well, obviously, gay means lesser. We don't even have to broach that subject by implying, <laughs> by asking the question, "Are traps gay?" You're obviously implying that gays are lesser. So, mm-hmm. well, it depends. I I thought like traps like um, initially. I heard that term and I thought like boner traps or something like uh <laughs> no. I think it was a I think it was a uh, a music video by the European like EDM artist Gunter or something. <laughs> it involved um uh 
in topless women on a trampoline. <laughs> um, cut to uh, the guys on the tra- uh, naked guys on the trampoline, and yeah. So <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But again, Gunter, I know it's okay. probably popular yes. on Fortran. So you probably, you probably understand this world a little bit better than I do, don't you, Greg? You're in the deepest reaches of the internet, aren't you? Indeed, I, indeed, I the am. The intellectual <laughs> dark <laughs> web. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. I'm challenging norms by saying like, hey, white people should continue to rule and be great, <laughs> and women should know their place in society. Really, really challenging norms there yeah wow <laughs> or can you handle it pc yeah. police <laughs> i gotta be honest it seems like they're the ones who can't handle it um, oh my gosh they're so triggered i'm so laughing i'm laughing at them right now <laughs> i'm laughing at them veins are popping out of my skull Did you see how i own the libs there guys <laughs> yes we do we do live in a lib ownership economy this, so. this is also true we live on the internet which means attention is the number one currency and owning the libs is the fastest way you can get it. <laughs> yes. And you can find that kind of lib ownership on our Facebook page, at Aspiring Snobs, as well as our Twitter page, also at Aspiring Snobs. Yes. We, we got those two terms uh, quickly. <laughs> we captured them right nobody up. Else, nobody else took them. <laughs> we captured them right up. And yes. if you want to reach out to us directly with your comments, questions, and recommendations, you can always reach mm-hmm. out to us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. Yes, if you would like to discuss the works of Cormac McCarthy more, at least way better than John did, who was dismissive immediately, <laughs> and didn't interact, interact with me at all. Just the worst improv partner. <laughs> I don't buy your scene, and your space work was terrible. <laughs> Go ahead and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes. And then, once you're done with all that, you can go to your podcast service of choice, wherever you're listening to this currently, and give us a five-star mm-hmm. review, and then I hope other people reach us. Indeed. Now, John, uh, we watched Unforgiven, mm-hmm. Best Picture winner in 1992. We may not abide by everything it stands for philosophically. However, we can at least understand why it won Best Picture. Uh, of course, because it's about an old cantankerous man in a genre yes. <laughs> designed for old cantankerous men. But next week, we're going to be watching a movie where we're a little bit baffled why it won <laughs> Best Picture. <laughs> I think that's that's makes it a more interesting watch, don't you, Greg? Probably. Well, we'll we'll see because uh, people have probably forgotten that this movie won Best Picture back in two thousand eight. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Another another classic lost to time. Next week we'll be revisiting <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire on its eleventh anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly missed that one. Uh, where were the slate think pieces about that one, huh? <laughs> I think it's kind of the perfect time to revisit it. Now that Bollywood's as big as it is. <laughs> is it? This was one of the main, you know, I, uh, crossover hits, right? I read, yeah. I, well, it's not really a Bollywood film. No. But <laughs> it's not like eight hours long and there's only one musical sequence, as far as I know, at the end. So Okay. I actually read a, uh, uh, an article, John, on the emergence of Nollywood. Have you heard of this? Uh, isn't that in Africa? <laughs> Africa, John. It's the country of Nigeria. Okay. They have an emerging film market. That's what I. That's what I was saying. It's in Africa. Duh. <laughs> come on. Keep up, Greg. John, Africa's a big place. All right, mm. with many specific places and cultures. Yeah, it's a lot of shithole countries, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> Jay Boo. I'm kidding. I'm being. I'm being facetious, guys. Please donate to UNICEF. There is still a terrible famine in East Africa that needs to be resolved. Yes. Please. <laughs> And can we please figure out what's going on with the Sudan? Come on. There's one country, there's two countries. It's it's too much. There are two now, John. Come on, keep up. (sighs) On that glib note. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time.
keep aspiring, punk. <laughs> do you ask yourself, do I feel lucky? Okay. Well, do ya? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> punk, <laughs> I gotta take the 1517 to Yuma <laughs> to get my grade to read. It's the 1517 to Paris. Oh, shit, fuck. <laughs> to Yuma? No, you're thinking of the 310 to Yuma. I know, damn it. <laughs> Done in classic Imperial time.